The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So today I've got a guy named David Richmond on the show. Um, I haven't had a guest in quite a while, so I'm really excited because David is quite the cool guy. He's got over 50 triathlons, including 15 Ironman distance triathlons, um, more than 50 runs longer than marathon distance, several 24-hour runs, an 85-mile run in Mexico during the summer, four consecutive marathons, and a solo 5,000-mile bike ride to write your book called Cycle of Lives, right? Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. And you you were just mentioning to me earlier that you're now training for another Ironman. Is this just like your your whole life is just kind of, it it sounds very active. It, you know, it is, it wasn't always like that, Liz kind of had a rough young adulthood, which kind of put me down a path of needing to work to survive. And I just like swallowed all the stresses of life and, you know, like found myself in my mid thirties overweight. I was a smoker. I was totally stressed out. I was like not active. And I actually was like in this brutal set of circumstances in my personal life. And I just had to get me and my kids out of it. And I said, well, if you're going to start taking charge of your life, you might as well like start being active. And so I, I stopped smoking in a February of, of the year I stopped smoking. And then in March, I did a 5k in April, I did a triathlon and by November I had done a full Ironman. So I, and I just haven't looked back since. You know, I started at first, I started to do it like as a way to see what I could accomplish. Yeah. And then, um, then I did it as a way to kind of stay focused on staying fit. Mm. Right. Cause it's really, it's really good. Uh, like it's much easier to stay in running shape if you got a marathon on the calendar. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have one, you could still stay in running shape, but then you might let things get in the way and like, not be so strict about it but if you got a race you got to prepare for so i figure like as you get older you know it's easy to postpone those kind of things because life gets in the way and so i don't want that to happen so i usually always have something on the calendar that the bigger stuff like the like that five thousand mile bike ride and like that you know four consecutive marathons you know i've done 300 mile bike rides and 25 hour runs and all this crazy stuff but um those things are usually like one-off things. Like I don't, I don't mm. regularly schedule those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know I've, um, I've done a couple of episodes before. I, I haven't done nearly as many challenges as you have, but I have, I did a one mile every hour for 24 hour challenge in June. And then I had done David Goggins challenge for like the first time ever oh, in March. So and brutal. 
It is, but it's so, I mean, I just, I felt like it was like the same feeling of like finishing my first marathon last year of just like the intense, like just, I don't know, like, I don't know if you ever feel that, like how you really dig deep in, in those like really, really low moments in those runs. And like, you're maybe only on like, I don't know, you're 12th of the 48 hours and you're just not even digging into it yet. And you're just thinking like, yeah. how am I even going to finish this? And yeah. I, you must have felt that way on some of these um, challenges and these triathlons and things that you've done, just like getting like, I don't know, like, I remember when I got about three miles into my trail marathon last year and I was just thinking, what have I signed up for? What am I doing? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you'll probably learn if you haven't already, Liz, that um, that this stuff will permeate into other things in your life because you develop a kind of resiliency, right? You develop um, the ability to, like, I, I'm impressed that you're doing this at your age, trying to find what your limits are and then push through them. Because I think that we just don't have the self-awareness to shoot for high enough goals than when we're younger, right? Yeah. Like as you get older, you go, okay, well, um, I'm going to try to shoot for higher goals. And then some people, when they get older, they go, ah, you know, my best days are behind me. I, I don't need to try to push myself any further. And I kind of don't agree with that. I mean, I admire people that really push their limits early on and are aware of the fact that they can do that because, you know, it's crazy, right? Somebody becomes the Olympic gold medalist, right? And somebody comes along and beats their record and wins their Olympic gold medal. And somebody's breaking barriers, you know, out every sport uh, every day. And it's like, that's because people are pushing their limits. And, you know, when it gets hard, man, you just got to figure out a way to put one foot forward. But I don't think I've ever done a race like where I haven't felt like this is really freaking hard, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think you and I are a bit similar in terms of just stories of like how we've come to be where we are, but I think everyone goes through a bit of adversity in terms of like, you know, you, you feel like you're not really getting the most out of life. And I know that I'm a little bit younger, but I think for me, it just kind of got to a point of like, you know, I know that there's more, I know that I can do better and I can be better. And I think just like wanting more for yourself. And like you said, definitely crosses over into other aspects of your life. And I think that there is such like a mental resiliency and mental toughness that is built from like these challenges and like, you know, running long distances, cycling long distances. But I think, you know, it obviously makes you a lot stronger, both mentally and physically, you know, for the future. And it makes you stronger and able to tackle whatever may come your way in life. Yeah, for sure. When I did, um, I had done about maybe like eight or 10 Ironmans and a bunch of 50 mile runs and other things and coming from a place of never having done those things to having done those things in a very short period of time. Um, I wrote a different book, uh, Winning in the Middle of the Pack, that was about the lessons learned that um, that are parallel between running like a hundred million dollar business, which I was running at the time, and running a hundred miles. There's a lot of similarities, mm. right? There's a lot of lessons you can take from the business world to put into your personal life. There's a lot of lessons you can take from your personal life to put towards endurance and athletics. You, you know, you can bring one lesson uh, to the other and they're pretty stark, you know, they're pretty stark lessons because when you are working on a project at work and you have to get it done by a certain deadline, that's kind of like you got to make the cutoff at the end of, a, of an Ironman, right? Yeah. Or whatever, right? 
like you said, you're three miles in to a trail, a trail marathon. Like you got 23 miles to go. You better figure out a way to go to the finish line unless you want to pack it up and go home. And you can't really do that very often in life and be happy about it, right? You got to figure out a way to get yourself to the finish line. And when you do, that definitely bleeds into other parts of your life. Definitely. Yeah. I know that um, I've got the London Marathon coming up here in a few weeks. It's on the 3rd of October, which feels like it's right around the corner. But it feels like this is only my second marathon that I'll be doing. And I know that I want to do like more marathons and triathlons. And, you know, I, I eventually would like to train for my first triathlon next year, I think. But what sort of advice would you have for either like someone like me who's never done a triathlon and wants to do one or. I think just people in general that really want to get more into running because I think that those are questions that I get quite a bit in terms of like really like basic people that have never done running before and they're like well you know the most that I can do is a 10k and I don't but I think that people sort of limit themselves in that way and I think the way that you're talking about is like you know you're always seeing like how much further you can reach and how far you can go because you always think that you can't do something and like I didn't think I could do a marathon and then you do it and then you're like oh well you know, I've just broken through the glass ceiling and you know, what else can I do? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's this weird kind of like a balance of uh, saying to yourself, what am I capable of doing and how much am I willing to endure? Because I, I think that we do set our goals too low oftentimes in life. And I learned this really early on in business. Somebody had told me, dude, you're like, cause I was, I was being like, I was, I, I was at the top of, of, of this thing I was doing. I was, I was like the, the, the highest guy nationally at this thing I was doing at the company. And then I went into management and I was really frustrated that people weren't doing really well. Mm-hmm. And, and my boss said, dude, he goes, look, your job is not to get everybody to be like you. That's not your job, right? Your yeah. job is to have everybody be the most they can be. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a different thing. So I don't want to say that what I accomplished is what you should set your goal at or vice versa. But I, I want to say, are you setting your goal? Are you setting your bar high enough that you're pushing to find out what you're made of or what you can accomplish? Because it really, there is a big sense of accomplishment. And so when you say, what advice would you give until you start doing it, you maybe don't know. So if a 10K is where you want to start. If a marathon is where you want to start and now you want to start doing a marathon a month, whatever it is, I don't know. I'll I'll tell you the funny thing for me was I wanted to, I thought like I'm training for all these things and whatever, and I can get into shape uh, for races. But I said, what makes you like fit, David? What, what, What would make you think you're an athlete? And I said to myself, well, if I could wake up one day and go do a organized marathon, with no training, oh wow! like no specific training, right? I'm just in marathon shape that any day I could wake up and go do it. And I had an opportunity to do that. I, I, um, I decided on a Friday night, like three in the morning. So that technically it's Saturday morning. I said, I'm going to go run the LA marathon on Sunday. I hadn't trained, not, not one, <laughs> not, not one specific training run for it. And I, and I did it. And when I was done, I went, you know, I feel like that was a good accomplishment. I don't know if that was athletic. You know, what's really athletic is if one day you woke up and you were in such good shape that you could go do an organized 50 mile run, Mm. that would like, I would think that I'm an athlete. Like I'm an athlete. If I could be in shape, I mean, I was a smoker. I was 50 pounds overweight. I was 
never active as a as an adult so to say that i could just wake up one day put on my sneakers my running shoes and go freaking run 50 miles that would be so i did that i did that about five months later the opportunity oh. came along for me to call up a race director i know and say hey I, I see you got this 50 mile race tomorrow can i join he goes you're past the cutoff on being able to sign up and i go come on dude let me in and he goes all right so i i woke up the next day and did a 50 mile run and it's like that never in a million years would I think that I could do that. But I was interested, like you're like you're becoming interested in seeing how much you can do, how far can you push yourself, how, how, what are your upper limits, which is really awesome. I, I think your story really sounds so similar to um, David Goggin's story. I think like, cause I had never really heard of him or the challenge until this year for some reason. Yeah. And as soon as you start listening to like his podcast interviews and like his story and his book, it's just like, it's so inspiring to go from like, you're yeah. such, you're in such a different part of life and you just like, you know, it just takes like, it doesn't take just one day, but I think one day you kind of start to think to yourself and you kind of, that, that seed gets planted in your brain of like, maybe I should make a change. And then I think that that just grows over time. And then that pushes you to like physically want to change. But, yeah. um, what, what was like that planted seed moment, I guess. Um, you know, it was a number of different things. So it, it, it was also kind of the, the, the genesis of the, of the cycle all lives book. So I was going through all this crazy stuff at, at work, totally stressed out. I was in an abusive relationship. I had young twins and I needed to get us out of that relationship. And I was dealing with all these crazy stresses and some of them self-created, some of them not. And I got me and the kids out. And I remember getting a call from my sister saying, Hey, I got uh, terminal brain cancer. Just wanted you to know. And I'm like, oh, wow. Holy crap. And so when all of this stuff was going on, you know, I'm, I just remember, and Liz, I'm not being like um, figurative here. I literally stood in front of a mirror and just went, I mean, what the hell are you doing? You're totally wasting your life. I mean, I'd accomplished a lot of great things, but I felt like I'm totally wasting my life because I haven't, I haven't done anything for myself. Like I, I accomplished things for myself, but not really. I, I did it because I thought it would make me a better kid or a better friend or a better employee, or it would get me some promotion or it would make the person in my life happier or whatever. I never really did it because I wanted to say to the guy in the mirror, man, you're doing a good job for you. I, I never was aware of it. And so when I just at that moment, and I must've stood in front of that mirror for like two hours just staring at myself which is a really hard thing to do if you, if you ever try to do it man it's really hard to like yeah. have a face-to-face -face with yourself a literal face-to-face -face with yourself for a couple of hours it's hard to do yeah and i just talked to myself and i said what like what do you want to be like what do you want mm. and like that's what that's what i said i said look i don't want to be a smoker i don't want to be stressed out I want to be somebody that's active. I want to be somebody that's healthy. I want to see if I can become athletic. Um, you know, I want to be a good example for my kids. I want to do these things. And then I just said, well, then just start doing them. Like, like start. Yeah. So that was the moment. So you say, you say you don't want to, you were trying to be less stressed, but you've done like all of these crazy runs and things and, you know, you're so active. And I think 
that's actually an episode that I was sort of just recording today around like the stress that I felt of like sort of juggling, you know, work and running and yeah, just like life. How does, how, what, like, what does a week look like for you in terms of just like training? Are you training like <laughs> crazy amounts or are you, um, is it, is it a little less stressful? Is it less crazy than I'm thinking? Well, it, it can be, uh, it's, it kind of goes in waves. I'm kind of in the, at the point now where I know kind of the minimum I need to do to get into race shape. I don't always end up being in race shape by the time because sometimes life gets in the way, but um, I, I kind of don't, I'm not stressed out about it. I've kind of figured it out after doing it this many times. So like, for example, I've got a, I've got an Ironman coming up in five weeks. So like the weekend before you do the London marathon, I'll be doing a, an Ironman in Tennessee. And yesterday I did a 15 mile run. It was 108 degrees here. So it was wow. a little warm. Yeah, uh, a little bit. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, But I did a 15 mile run, a training run today. I'm going to go on like a three or four hour bike ride tomorrow. I'll do a bike ride run brick. So um, I do put in a lot of hours on training, but I also have fortunate that I get to put in a lot of hours with training because I have a little more freedom in my schedule. But I'd say that I'm not stressed by the training I maybe get stressed out if I don't get my training in, but the mm. training itself doesn't stress me out because it feels good to go out there and work hard for achieving a goal. You know, when you're doing the marathon, I'm sure you're at the point where you're doing some kind of long runs right now. And I bet you're more stressed out not doing the long run than yeah. you are doing the long run. So yeah. I think that that if you rewire your brain to think that I should be not stressed out by the things I'm doing, but stressed out by the things I'm not doing, right? Then you start saying, I need to get to all the stuff that's important to me because I'm not getting to the things that are important. To me. So yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think I still sort of, I still, I still harness that thought and like that rewiring of, or I guess that wired thought of like, I love starting my mornings with, you know, running and that's just been my thing. And I, I, it's hard to sort of find anyone at work to really relate it with. And it's, you know, I'll, I'll come in on a Monday. I came in this past Monday and was like, you know, people are talking about their weekends and I'm like, yeah, I did 17 mile run on Friday and then relay on Sunday. And, um, and people just think that you're so crazy, but I think something that, um, I think it was David Goggins. I keep going back to him, but I think he spoke about how, you know, when people look at you and think that you're crazy, it's just because those people have such a limit on their life in terms of like what their goals are, what they'd like to achieve. And I think it's so different. And I think looking at, you know, someone like you and like your story around how you cycled like thousands of miles to get all of these stories yep. from the 15 different people. I think that like that is so much more meaningful than having like some sort of a career to aspire to in terms of like a position or a salary. I think it's what sort of a legacy are you going to leave behind and what do you want to do that is like truly meaningful in life? Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to figure out. Right. But I, I, I really, I go back to this idealism of we just don't set high enough goals. And there are a lot of people that do, and but there are a lot of people that don't. And, and, and I'm not sure what that key is to unlock the thing. For me, it came out of stress, right? It came out of just like this horrible situation that I was in and just this like moment of clarity going, man, like, like, like life is short, man. Your sister just told you she's going to die from cancer, right? You, you just left an abusive relationship. You got kids, you got to be healthy for like, what the hell are you doing? Right. Mm. And so that was the key that unlocked it. But, you know, 
again, I think that once you start trying to push yourself, like, what am I capable of? You know, maybe you're not, maybe you cannot go out and run fast enough to be able to collect a gold medal. Maybe you cannot be on the podium of every race that you enter or any race that you enter, but it doesn't matter, right? Just the thing is, are you doing the most that you can do? Are you doing the best you can do? There's a great quote from the founder, uh, one of the founder, uh, founding athletes of, of Ironman. Okay. Cause they, they kind of just accidentally came up with the race, right? One cyclist said, Hey, cyclists are the best athletes. And swimmers are like, the swimmers are like, no, swimming's it. You've got the runner guy goes, no, no, no. So they said, well, let's just test it out. So they accidentally put together this race called it called an Ironman. And one of the founders, he, he's got this great quote that is, it, it's never really left my brain since the day I heard it. And he said, it's a two-part quote. He said, he was being interviewed about Iron Man. And he said, look, uh, let me tell you something about Iron Man. He said, I know positively that I'm going to finish ahead of the guy that never started. Like, I might not win, but I know I'm going to finish ahead of the guy that never started. And I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely true, right? And then he said, and you know, if I am in the race and I want to quit, nobody's going to care. He says, because I'm certainly not going to win the thing. Nobody's watching me. He goes, nobody's going to care if I quit. I can, I can pack my bags up and go home and hide in my hotel room and nobody's going to notice. He goes, but I'm always going to know. Mm, yeah. And I thought, wow, he holds himself to a much higher standard than he cares about what anybody else thinks. And I'm just like, that's a really good mindset. Yeah. And so if you... If you're going to care about yourself first, and, and sometimes that means taking care of others, right? Yeah. That, that's the thing that you want to do the most. But if, if you care about yourself first, then you might as well do the best that you can do so that you can be proud of you know, yourself and what you, what you can accomplish in this world. And so if your ultimate pinnacle is to say, I want to run a 5K and be done, fine, go do it. If you say, I want to run 100 marathons, fine, go do it. My guess is that anybody could do the hundred marathons if that's what they if that's what they wanted to do. And you go, that's stupid. Who'd ever want to do a hundred marathons? Well, I'm not saying you should, but if you wanted to, you could do it. Anybody listening, anybody alive could, most anybody alive could do it. Maybe yeah. walk some of them, but who cares? Yeah. And you were talking about that piece in terms of you know really caring for others and. Did that, is that sort of something that fed into this cycling journey to go and get 15 stories from yeah. 15 different people? And was that something that stemmed from this story, you know, having someone within your family with um, cancer? It kind of is. And I didn't, I didn't uh, bike to find the stories. What I did is I had already found the stories and then I cycled to go meet these people I had been talking to on the phone for a couple of years to uncover their story. I went to meet them because you get, get it. Like, I feel like we're all connected by stories and we're all connected by emotion, right? Definitely. Those are really the two things we're connected by. Like you, you, you brought up uh, David Goggins a few times. That's because the stories that he says resonate with you. Yeah. Right. And they're usually some emotional component to it. Right. And, and who doesn't have an awareness uh, that we're, that we all are emotional. Right. We might show it in different ways, but everybody, everybody has these primal emotions. And so that, those are the way we're connected. And I thought if I'm writing stories about the emotional side of cancer, what better way to connect the people than to get on my bike and draw this line and be the thread that connects those stories together. So what where it started, if I could be super quick about it, Liz, is um, that I noticed 
that um, when I was paying attention to my sister's situation, and we were able to talk a lot. She had young kids and a husband, great job, great friends, whatever. But obviously, a lot of emotional issues going on with with um, knowing she was going to die soon. Mm. But um, uh, I noticed when I was watching her uh, uh, go through her end of life journey, and then also um, doing events to honor her and raise money for the cancer center that took care of her stuff, I would run into a lot of people. And I noticed that they were not well equipped to deal with the emotional stresses mm. of trauma. And we're seeing that in today's world, right? Uh, yeah. With what we're going through with the pandemic and just the chaos and the climate change and all this other stuff. Uh, like, like people are not equipped to even talk about it, right? It's just like people are just it's really tough, right? They're self-isolating. I mean, suicide rates are going up. You know, people are are distancing themselves from their friends because they can't figure out a language in which they can talk and agree to not talk about certain things. And it's just, it's crazy, right? And I just feel like we're not well-equipped to do that. And so what I wanted to do was to write a book to help people better understand what people who are going through cancer, either as a patient or a doctor, you know, a doctor caring for patients, or as a loved one, a survivor, um, a caregiver, um, I, all different facets, the emotional side of that journey. I wanted to equip the reader to better understand what they went through or what they're, they, they're, they are going through so that we can learn to better communicate with them. Because in the end, if we are all connected by emotions and by stories, I think that we want to be deeper and more authentically connected to the people that we care about in our lives. And the only way to do that is to be able to communicate better. Yeah. Right. You put two people that are, that are, that are in each other's lives, father, daughter, husband, wife, friend, girlfriend, I don't care, whatever. And you put them in a room. And if there's something in the room, they can't talk about that's a wedge between them. I don't care yeah. how close they are or how much they love each other or whatever. If they can talk about that wedge, they will get closer. It's just, it's just the absolute truth. Yeah. With the emotional side of cancer and the traumas that people go through that affect that emotional side of cancer, if we're not equipped to talk about those things, then we can't form more meaningful connections with the people we care about. So I, that's why I wanted to write the book. I think, yeah, I think that that's all so great. And I think some of what you're talking about is really something, some some of the things that I felt just in running for a charity team for the first time. And I'm running with Boston Children's Hospital and like, I've been partnered with a patient partner and she's like six years old and she had oh cancer in her foot when she was, you know, she, she can't even remember it. But I think it's just, you know, being able to emotionally connect with people even at six years old and being able to sort of just see, you know, the other, just like how I think that it's hard because, you know, you and I may have gotten to be lucky in life in terms mm -hmm. of just not having cancer. And then you meet people who have had cancer, who are cancer survivors, who have had loved ones go through cancer. And I think it's so different to have conversations with them and so different even just to like, I had a Zoom call with my patient partner the other weekend and just to see her so filled with joy and running around and so happy. And, you know, I think it's just like seeing that sort of like childlike joy despite everything that she's gone through, all of the, you know, medication that she's probably had to take and all of the yeah. surgeries that she's had. And the, you know, it just, the list goes on and on, but I think it just gives you such a different outlook on life. Um, and I'm sure that your book does exactly that. It sounds like it, it does, it, it, you know, and some of it, some of it is joy, right? Like you just mentioned the joy, 
of it. And, and that is, um, that's an important lesson for you to learn. And it's, it's awesome that you've learned it so quickly is that even with going through something so dramatic, the fact that she can be joyful um, is awesome because we want to think that, oh, we have so much pity for them or we want to have sympathy or we don't want to be uncomfortable or whatever. You know how like a little kid might walk up to somebody who's in a wheelchair and say, why are you in a wheelchair? Mm-hmm. Right? We would never do that as an adult, man. We would yeah. never walk up to somebody that's rolling by us in the, in the supermarket and say, hey, what puts you in that wheelchair? Right. But kids will do it all the time. And, yeah. and when they do it, you know, the person in the wheelchair goes, well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what happened. Right. Or whatever. And we want to think like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to face that. I don't want to deal with that difficult conversation because I don't want to sound like an idiot. I don't want to I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to invade their space. And there's a million reasons. Right. Yeah. But maybe they're grateful to be in the wheelchair because if they maybe they were afraid they were going to lose their life or something. Right. Mm. Maybe they're miserable that they're in. I don't know. Right. But I think that if 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 we want to form a meaningful connection with that person or we're able to form a meaningful connection with that person. Learning how to talk is important. And normally, if like years ago, if somebody would have walked by me the hall in the hallway at work and said, ah, gosh, man, I, I go, what's the matter? And they, because I noticed that they were, you know, slumped over as they were walking or they looked, uh, you know, like particularly bothered or something. And they would say to me, oh, you know, I just found out my uncle got, you know, his cancer is going to die. I'd be like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. And I'd race down the hallway because I don't know what the hell to say. Mm. Right. And now I wouldn't do that. Now, I, yeah. now I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Now I would stop them and I'd say, oh my gosh, how are you feeling about that? Are you close to your uncle? You know, oh my gosh, you know, are you going to be able to visit him before? Is it for sure that serious? You, know, you start having these conversations and it allows people to explore and and spill out the emotional stuff that is inside of them. And who doesn't have that? It's just whether or not we feel safe to be able to connect with somebody about that stuff. And the fact that you're doing that with this little girl and maybe the effect it might be having on her caregivers, on her parents or whatever is awesome. I mean, it's really, really awesome. And, um, uh, and, and it's not something that is very easy to do. That's yeah, for sure. Definitely. What? Well, yeah. I can't imagine having, you know, I think, I think it'd be so interesting to go and sort of meet those 15 people that you met with for your book and hear those stories. And I think it's probably, it probably was something, you know, one thing to hear those stories, but another to sort of write them all down and sort of, you know, put them all together into one book. That'll be my last question. But I mean, what was that? What was that sort of like? Oh my gosh, it was crazy because if I give you just a little bit of a long answer, um, what I wanted to do when I got people is I wanted to say, I need a wide range of age. I need a wide range of type of cancer, severity of cancer, a wide range of the perspective. Are you the receiver? Are you the caregiver, the survivor, the loved one, the oncologist or whatever? So I wanted the different perspectives. And then I wanted the wide range of emotional responses to the Mm -hmm. cancer. And I wanted all of that to be this A to B journey of emotional, you know, the emotional journey. But what was important was to go, what happened before point A that, uh, that affected your emotional journey? So what traumas in your life? And I'm talking about traumas such as one woman who had five cancers over a 35 year period. I wanted to talk to her about that, but I needed to talk to her first about how she developed the strength out of being in a 
horribly abusive, physically abusive relationship for four years and how she got out of that and developed the strength, right? Um, there was um, um, a, a woman who um, grew up with a strong sense of faith and uh, she got cancer. And when she finally realized that there was only one reason that she could have got the cancer because she's healthy, she didn't have any genetic issues or nothing else. The only thing that could happen was God was spiting her, mm. right? And so she had to tackle with this whole thing of being angry at God for giving her cancer when her whole life she had had this faith, right? And so, um, you know, um, uh, I had another person who had to deal with the fear of abandonment uh, because uh, they had watched their mom commit suicide when they were a little kid. Wow. And when he got cancer, he couldn't allow anybody to help him because he was afraid for sure they were going to leave him because everybody leaves, right? And so what I wanted to do was to, was to talk about these traumas, bad decisions, bad circumstances, you know, um, whatever that, that we could all identify with who hasn't seen trauma, who hasn't had it rough, right? Maybe not as rough as the next person, but everybody's had it rough. And how do those things, and we can all identify with that. And how do those things affect the emotional journey? So when I sat down with the, the people, I really just said, look, like if I was going to do that with you, Liz, like, look, Liz, it, it's look, here's the project. Here's what we need to accomplish. And in order to accomplish it, we have to give the reader the truth. They will see through if we're not being real. If I'm not getting to the heart of the issues of what makes you, you, and how you are able to deal with these things or not able to deal with them. And why weren't you? And what's the emotional journey that you took and why are you able to talk about it and process it? Or why are you not able to talk about it and process it? If I don't get to the super heart of those issues, it's just, it's not going to accomplish anything. It's not going to help the reader. Mm. So super long answer, but um, I, 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 I set the stage for what I was trying to accomplish. I found amazing, inspirational, evocative, you know, just crazy stories of people who had dealt with just life right? Maybe crazier, more difficult life than you and me, maybe not, who knows, but still, you know, just very interesting people. And then I gave them the safe space to say, look, I'm, I'm not judging. I'm not trying to uh, uh, elicit sympathy or pity or any, whatever. I, all I want to do is understand what makes you, you and how you, how your journey could better help told in a, in a you know, totally candid, open way how it could help other people. So let, let me do that with you. Yeah. And not everybody could do that clearly, right? Yeah, of course. You know, first of all, maybe I didn't bond with them, but second of all, maybe they just weren't at a place in their life where they could be that open and honest. But I eventually did uh, call it down to these 15 stories and they're, they're, they're all, they're individual. They're not tied together. So they're individual stories and they're all, you know, really amazingly fascinating. Mm. That sounds, that sounds so awesome. Well, why don't you let listeners know how they can get connected to you, how they can find your book. And um, I will definitely find your book and read it because it sounds incredible. But um, I know that you're keen to get on a bike ride um, very soon. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting here and David, David sort of came on the Zoom and he's got his whole like biking outfit. So I, I don't want to hold him back any longer. But I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the podcast. And um, yeah, just let us know how we can get connected to you. Sure. And I appreciate that. And, and look, um, we talked a little bit earlier that you started this as a 
as a creative um, expose and whatever. Don't stop doing it. I mean, it's pretty awesome. So, so keep doing it. Um, uh, so first, 100% of the proceeds are going to support the cancer-focused organizations that were chosen by the book participants. So uh, Children's Hospital in LA is one of them. Um, American Cancer Society, different cancer centers, those type of things. And uh, so that's a good thing. And you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Most books are sold on Amazon. So, you know, shoot on over to Amazon or go into your, you know, pages bookstore or whatever big bookstore is happens to be in your area. They'll have the book or can order it. Um, you can order it online and, and see about my other books and some other things I'm doing. If you're at all interested, uh, it's cycleoflives.org. Uh, and that'll, um, you know, get you to uh, find out more information about what's going on. And if you're inspired to, you know, want to learn how to communicate better with the people in your lives about the trauma, especially when it comes to things like cancer, um, I really think the, the book can help. And, and you're also raising money for good causes. So hopefully it's a double positive. That's incredible. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. It's been such a great conversation and just so many different conversations, but just, yeah, really, really great insight and really great um, chat. Nice. Well, you're welcome. And uh, I'm looking forward to you breaking your PR. You only have, you did a trail marathon. I can't believe you're going to do the London marathon slower. So maybe you can go out there and set a PR. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was not happy with the time last year, but I was, I, I, I was more happy to just finish, but I know did that that's all that matters. You'll never yeah. remember the time. 30 years from now, you're not going to remember the time. You're going to remember, remember that first trail, uh, uh, trail marathon I did? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, good luck with your Iron Man. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome, Liz. And that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, I'll include all of David's information about his book and how to get in touch in the show notes of this episode. The first link in the show notes will take you to my fundraising page for the London Marathon with Boston Children's. I would love if you check it out. And if you're interested, please check out the podcast Instagram. It's just at Resiliency and Running. But otherwise, I will see you in the next episode. Bye.